If you would turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start looking at a passage here for our lesson this morning. As in our lesson, we're going to be looking at one of the people that we read about in the Bible. Someone that is well known even by those who don't know much or or maybe not know really anything about the Bible. They've heard of Moses. They at least have know the name. They know he's some major character in the in the scriptures. Even if they don't know much else about the Bible, they've heard of Moses. Moses was the one who led the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. He was the one who, with the power of God, parted the Red Sea that allowed the Israelites to cross on dry land while the Egyptian army, when they tried to cross, they were drowned in the sea. He was the one who received the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai. And as we think about this individual, there are a lot of a lot of things that we can look at and study about his life. But this morning what I want us to do is focus on three character traits about Moses. And three that I think in different ways we can learn from and make application for our life here. So we're going to notice a few of these characteristics of Moses and then look at how we can embody those as well. The first of these we see is in Hebrews chapter 11 where he's described as a willing sufferer. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. So here these verses describe Moses having to make a choice. It says, when he was grown up, he made a decision. He made a choice. And it says there in verse 25, to endure ill treatment. That he was willing to endure this type of suffering that we read about in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, and then continuing on through the book of Deuteronomy, where we read through, read through the life of Moses. He was willing to do that. He chose that he was not going to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter as he was had been adopted by her. But rather he's going to be numbered with the Hebrews who were slaves in Egypt. Notice as you go back to Exodus. At the end of Exodus chapter 1, not only were the Israelites... Not only were they slaves in Egypt, but it says there in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 22, Pharaoh issuing this order in response to the people growing more powerful, and he sees them as a threat. It says in Exodus 1 verse 22, the last verse of that chapter, it says that Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. So this was the order that was given. Of course, you have in chapter 2, we have the birth of Moses. He would have been one that was subject to this, that would be 
killed by Pharaoh's order, but his parents decided they were not going to comply to this. That any order or any law given by a ruler, if it is contrary to the scriptures, people of God are under no obligation to follow it. As Peter said in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. So they obviously, understanding the obligation that they had, they were going to try to protect that child and keep that child alive. So they put him in a basket and hide him in the, in the river, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And uh, through a course of, of events here that she finds him, his mother ends up being hired to take care of him while he was growing up. But then in verse 10, the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. So here he has been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, but he was in a sense still raised by his mother, his, his real mother, the Hebrew mother. But it says in verse 11, so he has this, this background where he would have learned certain things from his mother. But then he's also growing up, as he's gotten older, now he's living as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 11, he makes a choice. It came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that. When he saw that there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He was making a choice here. He was going to defend his people. And what ended up happening is that he had to flee Egypt because of this being found out. And... and Going to, going to live in the wilderness for a time and then later would come back. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But in as we think about what the Hebrew writer wrote about in Hebrews chapter 11, in the short term, it was much more desirable and much more pleasant to live as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could engage in sin. The Hebrew writer talked about that he could enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, enjoy whatever pleasures he wanted. He could live in luxury. But he said, the Hebrew writer said that he was looking for the reward. He knew that there was something else. He knew, and I think we can assume it was from the teachings of his mother who was being paid to raise him until he grew up to be a little bit older, but knew that God had a plan for his people. In verse 24 of Exodus chapter 2, it says, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you think about this covenant with them, and this that would have been passed down teaching from generation to generation, it's very likely that Moses was taught this by his mother. And this was why he was willing to make that decision that he was that he made that he's going to be numbered with them because God made a covenant with his people and he knew that that was more valuable than any of the riches of Egypt so he willingly made this decision 
he was going to endure ill treatment with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. But we also see about Moses was that after he had gone, left Egypt and was living in the wilderness for 40 years that he was called by God to lead the people out of Egypt, but he was not eager to do this. He was going to lead them, but he was a reluctant leader here at first. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 10, God is calling him. He says, Therefore come now, I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Again, this was... This was in line with the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he is going to deliver them. But Moses said to God, in verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Who was he? He didn't think he could do it. He didn't think he was the right one to, to lead the people out of Egypt. After all, he had gotten in trouble trying to defend his one of his fellow countrymen he was got in trouble trying to defend him and when that was discovered he tried to as you get into chapter 2 right after he killed the Egyptian he tried to settle a dispute between two of the Hebrews and they were afraid or they said well who are you to judge judge us are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian he did not think he was the one to do this he did not think he was the right choice. And so God has called him, but then he makes excuses. In chapter 3 and verse 13, Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel. I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say, What is his name that I shall say to them? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So he starts by saying, well, they're going to ask me who, who it was that sent me. I don't have your name. I don't have something to tell them that, that this is the one who has sent me. Of course, God says that I am who I am, that he is God. He always existed, always will exist. And I am has sent Moses to the people. They, so he starts off saying, well, I, I can't go because I'm not the one to do it. Then I'll have to tell them who sent me. I don't know your name to be able to tell them this. And then in chapter 4, he says in verse 1, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Well, you've called me, you've sent me, and I can say that, well, this is his name that that has sent me, that he says that I am has sent me to you. He's got a name now that he can give, but then he says, well, what if they just don't believe me? What if, what if they don't think that you have really spoken to me or that you have called me? So then he, God tells him to take his staff and throw it on the ground. It becomes a serpent. And he tells him to pick it up again. And he picks it up and it becomes a staff in his hand. You have another miracle after that where he puts his hand into his bosom and it comes out and it's leprous and, and does that again and to reverse it the other way. So he's going to prove this through miracles that, are being, that, that will be performed. 
So he takes that excuse out of the way. But then Moses comes back with another excuse. In verse 10 of chapter 4, Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in times past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I'm not able to articulate this message that you want me to deliver to the people or deliver to Pharaoh. I'm not going to be able to speak that very well. I'm not going to be able to explain that or to convince the people to do this because I'm just I'm just not good with words. The Lord said to him in verse 11, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? If Moses was really incapable of doing this, then God the Creator would know he's incapable of doing this and would not have called him to do it. That Moses is making excuses, but God knew he could do what he called him to do. God does not require us to do anything that we are incapable of doing. He called Moses to go do this, and Moses tried to make another excuse that, well, I'm not eloquent, I can't, I can't do this and, and make these speeches I'm going to have to make and, and instruct the people and talk to Pharaoh. I'm not going to be able to do that. He says in verse 12, Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. And he talks about in verse 14, or, or God said to, to Moses that your brother Aaron the Levite, that he speaks fluently, he can be your mouthpiece. He can be the one who speaks for you. And there's going to be no excuse. Verse 13, Moses says, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Anyone but him. He was wanting anyone but him to go and do this. But eventually he goes. Reluctant at first, but he goes and he leads the people. He goes and speaks to Pharaoh. He goes and and goes to the people of Israel to convince them to leave Egypt. And that took some doing because after the plagues and then things got worse for them and they decided well we don't want to we don't want to follow you we don't want to do this he led the people out of Egypt and they're approaching the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is pursuing in chapter 14 and verse 10 Pharaoh drew near the sons of Israel looked to behold the Egyptians were marching after them and they became very frightened so the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord they said to Moses is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now Moses is going to have to make a response to them. A response that they did make the right decision to leave Egypt a response to them that would encourage them to not give up and to not despair and to think that all hope was lost. So in verse 13, Moses said to the people, Do not fear. <clears throat> Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. He encouraged them while the Egyptian army was 
pursuing them. They could see them coming. And he encouraged them to not fear, but instead to trust in God and see the salvation that he was going to deliver for them that day. So we remember what happens. The Red Sea is part of the people cross on dry ground. The Egyptians pursue them. The sea closes over them. And they see them dead on the seashore. As verse 30 says of this chapter, that they witnessed all of this, but he was at first reluctant to lead them out of Egypt, reluctant to answer the call of God. But then after they leave Egypt and they're going in the wilderness, we see Moses as a long-suffering wanderer. Over in Numbers chapter 33, and you turn over here, we're not going to read all of these verses, but I want you to at least see them in your Bible. And because this is, sometimes when you have, people will try to read through the Bible in a year, and which is an excellent thing to do, or whether it's a year or six months or two years, or three, however long it takes you to read through the Bible, it's always a good practice to do that periodically, to read through the scriptures. But when we do that, for a lot of people, once you get to passages like in Numbers and, and some other ones where you have genealogies or lists and things like that, those are sometimes difficult to get through. This is one of those passages. It's not a genealogy, but instead what it is, it's a recounting of everywhere they went while they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It begins in verse 5 where the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses and camped at Succoth and it continues on there. Eventually they get to Mount Sinai in verse 15 where that's where they were going to receive the law from God and they journeyed from Sinai in verse 16 and camped at Kibroth Hetava and they go on from there and camped at Hazaroth and camped at Rithma and you can go all the way down through verse 49 and struggle to pronounce all of those words and and see everything and and you read through that and you think well I don't know where those places are I I've never heard of these places before and it's difficult to read that was Moses's life that he went from one place to another and you think it might be difficult for us to read through this chapter That's much easier than what Moses did because he went from one place to another, leading the people and going going to all of these places. And there's a reason why they did this. The reason why it goes all the way through verse 49 and, and not stopping much earlier than that. It was because of the fact that they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. You go back to the book of Exodus in Exodus chapter 15, they had crossed the Red Sea. They were delivered from the Egyptians. In chapter 15, it contains the song of praise that was sung, where they were celebrating this deliverance that God had brought them through, and they were able to escape from the, from the Egyptian army and leave their bondage in Egypt. But then, very quickly, they start complaining. The people start complaining, complaining to Moses. Chapter 15, after they 
sing this song. Verse 22, Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. So three days later, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Whereas God provided for them, where they were able to have water to drink, but they're already, at the very beginning, already complaining about this. Chapter 16 and verse 1, that they sent out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Already kind of looking back at the past and thinking of it as better than it was. They were in bondage in Egypt, but what they were thinking of is, well, we had all this food that we could eat, that we had we had things taken care of. They were working as slaves, but they were ignoring that part of this. They were only focused on what little bit of good that there was in Egypt. They said, well, we had this food to eat. We don't have any food. God just provided water for them. He's going to provide food for them as well, but they're grumbling and they're complaining. You look at Numbers chapter 14. You have the people complaining, the people grumbling, they do all of this, and again, that passage that we looked at in Numbers 33 that recounted all of the places where they went, there's a reason why that list extended as long as it did. Because they were not able to enter the promised land when they should have. In Numbers chapter 14, you have the the spies had gone into the land of, of Canaan to spy it out. They come back, two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, they give a report that says, we can take the land because the Lord is with us. The ten other spies says, no, we can't do it. They have fortified cities. They have giants living in the, the place that we, we cannot take this land. Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can take this. God is with us. We can take the land. But because the people believed the ten spies and said, no, we, we are not able to, to take the land, God was going to punish them. It says in verse 32, As for you, your corpses will fall in the wilderness. The number is 1432. Your corpses will fall in the wilderness. Your sons will be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness. And they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days for every day, you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years, and you will know my opposition. That God was going to punish them. You're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Every one of you who came out of Egypt, you are going to die in the wilderness. And your children that you were so afraid of that they're going to... Something that's going to happen to them if we try to go into the land of Canaan, no, they are going to receive it. But as a consequence, they will have to, your sons will be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness. They will suffer for your unfaithfulness. And someone else who's going to suffer for their unfaithfulness was Moses. He was 
going to continue to lead the people. And this was even after he defended the people. God said in earlier in this chapter, Numbers 14.11, He says, How long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me despite the signs which I performed in their midst? I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. And then Moses appeals for the people. Verse 19, Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of the people. And God spares them. But Moses, he's, sta- he's defending the people. Not defending their sin, but appealing to God for mercy that he not destroy them. Well, God relents, but they're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and Moses is going to go along with them and continue to lead them. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 34, we see that Moses got close to the promised land. He got close to being able to go into the land of Canaan, but he was never able to reach it. He was never able to enter it himself. Deuteronomy 34 verse 1 says, Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, and the Negev and the plain in the valley of Jericho and the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him. Meaning God buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no man knows his burial place to this day. He led the people out of Egypt and led them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, dealing with their grumbling and complaining, was able to go and see the land, but was never able to go in himself. Because of sin that he committed, Numbers chapter 20, we won't turn over there, but if you look at Numbers chapter 20 and you read about what happened there, he was told to speak to the rock, and water would come out for the people. Instead, what he did is he struck the rock and claimed that he was getting water for them. And God punished him for that. He would not be able to enter the promised land. But he was able to see it. He could be forgiven of that sin, but there are consequences that come from sins that we commit. So he was not able to enter, but he suffered long in the wilderness and despite that one sin that we can read about he was throughout his life faithful to God so as we think about Moses and look at his example we've talked about several things about him and really when we look at Moses we could do several lessons like this on him but I wanted to highlight these characteristics because they remind us of what we are to be doing Moses was a willing sufferer As we think about our life today, we need to be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. You think about that passage that we read at the beginning, where it says that he was willing to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Sin in the moment might be pleasurable, 
But he was willing to give that up. We need to be willing to give up sin and say that, no, we're not going to engage in that. It might be pleasurable. We might enjoy it in the moment. But say that we're not, we're not going to do that. We're giving that up. Romans 6, verses 6 and 7 says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so we would no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. We are no longer living under sin. We've given all of that up. Verse 11 says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and yourselves or your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Sin might be enjoyable in the moment, but we need to give that up. But notice, as you remember what the Hebrew writer said. He he made the decision, Moses made the decision to endure, or to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So it wasn't just that he was willing to give up sin, but he was willing to be numbered with the people of God. Notice what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. The suffering that Paul had to endure, why did he do it? Why did he suffer imprisonment? Why did he suffer all sorts of things that he had to face with the beatings and the imprisonments and shipwrecks and all of this? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, For which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things, he says, for the sake of those who are chosen, for the sake of God's people so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. He was willing to suffer for, not just for the cause of Christ, but for and with other Christians. He calls Timothy to be willing to suffer with him. He said in chapter 1 and verse 8, Join with me in my suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Be numbered with the people of God, even though it might mean suffering for the cause of Christ. You contrast Paul's example with the example that he mentions of Demas in 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, where he says, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. That he was a fellow Christian. He was one of Paul's fellow workers and traveling companions at one point. But he decided he loved the present world more than he loved the people of God and the hope that is found in Christ. Moses, he was willing to be numbered with God's people and to look for the reward rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. We need to, as Moses led the people out of Egypt, out of bondage, we need to do what we can to help lead others out of sin. Now, obviously, it's true that not everyone is going to be in a visible position of teaching or leadership. James 3 and verse 1 tells us that not many are to be teachers because they incur a stricter judgment. But we are to teach in some capacity. 
In 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, it tells us we are to be ready to give an answer for everyone who asks us for the hope or to give an account for the hope that is in us. Ready to give an answer. And we do this in order to help lead them to the truth. And through our example also, we are trying to lead them to the truth. 1 Peter 2 and verse 12, he says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And one point that, that I wanted to make on this, is we think about the parallel to Moses, that he led them out of Egypt. He led them out of bondage, and we are trying to lead others out of sin. We talked about how Moses was a reluctant leader. And we think, well, how does that... How does that apply to, to us today that should we be reluctant to teach others? And obviously we shouldn't be reluctant in the sense that we don't want to do this or we're, or we're making excuses for doing this. However, there is one sense in which we do need to be careful in what we do in teaching others. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul said that there that some men strained from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussions, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. We ought to be reluctant to make bold claims or be certain about things that we don't know. We're not simply trying to sound confident and try to try to convince people of something that we're not even convinced of ourselves. We need to study the scriptures, know them and understand them, and then teach that to others. So we don't need to be over-eager to teach before we're prepared to teach. But we do need to work to prepare ourselves so that we can, as 1 Peter 3 talks about, give an answer. We can lead people to the truth. Moses, once he realized that through God he was fully qualified to do what he's been called to do, he went and he led the people out of Egypt. And then the final point. Think about Moses was a long-suffering wanderer in the wilderness going for 40 years. We need to be faithful throughout our life, no matter how long that we live here. Continue to faithfully press on to the reward. Over in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter talked about this reward that we are hoping for. He said in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That there's this hope. There's something that we are wanting to gain and that God has promised to us, but when will it be revealed? He said it will be revealed in the last time. So we are enduring all things. We are continuing to remain faithful, not giving up along the way. He continues in verse 6. It says, For in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation 
of Jesus Christ. That's when we receive the promise. When Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven. Don't give up along the way. Moses endured. He was faithful to the end. We need to be faithful throughout our life. No matter what we have to face. No matter what grumbling or complaining we have to endure around us. No matter what difficulties we have to endure. We need to endure until the end. So who was Moses? We see among many other things, that he was a willing sufferer. He was initially reluctant, but led the people out of Egypt. And he was a long-suffering wanderer. All of those related to specific circumstances in his life. But what was behind all of them was that he was a man of faith. The reason why he was willing to suffer ill treatment with the people of God was because of his faith. The reason why he allowed God to convince him to lead the people out of Egypt was because of his faith. The reason why he led the people through the wilderness and endured 40 years of wandering and not to turn back on God and not rebel against him by either going back to Egypt or trying to get into the promised land anyway, the reason why he did that was because of his faith. So this is the primary lesson for us, that in the circumstances we find ourselves in, we need to be people of faith. No matter what we have to endure, whatever hardships we face, do it through faith. As we try to lead others to the truth, it has to be guided by our faith in the Lord and that is guided by His Word. As we go throughout our life, we live by faith. All of this needs to, all of this needs to be done with that as the foundation, that as the background. That's what Moses did. He lived by faith. So as we close the lesson and extend the invitation, we want to invite anyone who is not yet a Christian to become one. We see in the Scriptures that in order to become a Christian, in order to be a disciple of Christ, we need to first believe in Him. When we come to believe in Him through hearing His Word as it is taught to us, then once we believe, we need to be willing to turn from our sins and confess our faith and then be baptized into Christ to have our sins washed away. And if you haven't done that this morning, the opportunity is there for you. You can have that done today. And you can have your sins washed away and God will add you to His church. And if you've done that and have started along this journey, you've left the bondage of sin just as the Israelites left the bondage in Egypt, but then you've wandered away, you've become unfaithful, then turn back to the Lord. Repent of the sin that's in your life and pray to Him and ask for forgiveness. But if we can help you in any way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.